morning. <clears throat> For those of you that haven't met me before, my name is Andy Hall, and uh, I live on the west coast of Scotland in Ayrshire, and uh, been there for 20 years now, so just coming up to 20 years. Um, I lead the, or help to lead, I'm one of the leadership team of the Lighthouse Church, uh, which is, um, someone once described it as high-end charismatic. Uh, very happy, very clappy. Uh, we had to take down the chandeliers because people kept falling off of them, you know, they, uh, for health and safety reasons. Uh, yeah, we had to peel people off the, uh, off the wall at the end of the meeting. So um, that's, uh, that's my church background, although um, I'm Anglican by conversion, um, and uh, and then conservative evangelical by theological training, and then something went badly wrong, and uh, I ended up sort of Pentecostal charismatic by practice and persuasion. So uh, the, my lo the local Episcopal um, rector, when I did a, a, a service for them in their um, Holy Week last year, uh, when I, I introduced myself like that, and he says, oh, he says, you're a really mixed up cookie. <laughs> and this is absolutely true. Uh, but it just means that, that if, you, if you don't like the first bite, just keep chewing, because eventually you'll, uh, you'll find something that, that, that you like, uh, hopefully. Okay, uh, so I want to talk a little bit this morning about destiny. Now, uh, destiny is, not, um, is an interesting subject because it's not actually mentioned in the Bible, uh, but it is actually in the heart of every believer. <laughs> that every believer has a sense that there's, there's more to my life than just being born, getting saved, and then when I die, going to heaven. So it's one of those things, it's a commonly shared experience, but uh, we don't often take time to, to think about it and what it actually means for us. Now, um, uh, Banning Liebscher, who um, heads up the Jesus Culture uh, group in, um, in Sacramento, he, he wrote this, he said, God had a dream and wrapped your body around it. And that, I think, is a really good definition of why we all have a sense of destiny. When God brought you into the world, he brought you into the world as a dream project. And he had a plan for you which he wrapped your body around. And our life is a, a continual series of experiences and encounters to try and understand what it is, what it, how he's shaped us, how he's made us. Um, uh, I, when you look out over a church in a, in a revival culture, instead of um, uh, the opposite for me of a revival culture is a consumer, church consumer culture, where we come to church because of what's in it for us, that's a consumer culture. But a revival culture is we come to church to find out what God wants us to do next. And uh, a revival culture believes that God has shaped every human being who has been born on the earth. With, and he has invested in you significant purpose. Significant purpose. Uh, even Hollywood's getting in on the act. A few years ago, I noticed script writers just couldn't resist putting in uh, sort of little statements about destiny. And I, I, my two favorite ones are All Men Die, But Few Truly Live, Mel Gibson as, uh, um, uh, in uh, Braveheart. And um, What We Do in Life Lives in Eternity. Who knows which, which movie that's from? Oh, that's uh, it's maybe, maybe it's before your time. Maximus in the film Gladiator. Yeah. What we do in life lives in eternity. Um, 
it tells us, what it tells us, in, even in the popular culture, is that people have this sense, a hardwired sense of destiny. So if you're a politician and you can tap into people's sense of destiny, you get, you're called a populist for doing that, by the way. But, but what you're actually doing is actually saying there is hope, there is a purpose, you're here and you can be part of the solution. And that's what uh, politicians are increasingly doing. But actually, it's what we should be doing. It's part of our job description to speak into every single human being we meet so that we speak destiny and significant purpose into their life. Now, you know, to be, to be brutally frank, you don't need it because you're going to heaven and that's great. Uh, but people who don't have the hope of heaven still have a purpose under God and that we can speak into their lives and we can actually affirm them and encourage them, strengthen them, build them up just because they're worth it. Because God made them, even if they haven't yet chosen to, to uh, repay the courtesy to him by loving him and believing in him. God has shaped you, as a, um, has shaped you spiritually and physically and historically to co-work with him in a significant revival destiny. You know, it, that, that I, I had a terrible shock. The day after I became a Christian, the people who led me to the Lord said, right, you better go and start work. And I said, what do you mean work? I mean, I've, I've, just, you know, I've just booked my ticket to heaven and now you're talking about work. He says, well, you know, now you've got saved, you've got to go and tell everybody about it. So in the next few months, I told all my friends about Jesus and led all them to the Lord. And then I said, I've led all my friends to the Lord, what do I do now? And they said, um, well, uh, maybe you better start on people who are not your friends. So I started going out and bothering shoppers and bothering people in the student union bar and, 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 and just basically telling everybody. And, and at that time, that was the only thing people had let me do. So, so I became a professional evangelist and went out and bothered people on a larger scale. Uh, but, but the point was that right from the very, very beginning, I understood that that being saved was not primarily a matter of my convenience or primarily a matter of, of fitting in with my calendar, but that God had purpose for me. He had work for me to do. And so that, that for me was, was the begin, right from the very beginning, was written into what it was to be a Christian. I can't have church and church life in one compartment and life and earning a living and family in another compartment. God invades all of the compartments. We're like a, water, a ship that's got no watertight compartments. So once God breaks in, you better do something because the water is going to get to you eventually. So God wants to break into every part. The big question in any season of God is who am I and what am I here to do? Who am I and what am I here to do? And over the next few months, Lynn was telling me, it's going to be quite a, an emphasis on the, the identity issue. Who am I? Um, but today I'm really just starting off with the, the, the destiny question. The question is always about identity and purpose and destiny. Because God does not beam us up to the mothership the moment you get saved. You, you all know that because you're still here. He doesn't press the button and say, beam them up, Scotty. And you all go sprinkly silver. And, you know, and then just, you're there in heaven. There is a purpose to these 20, 30, 70 years. And God is wanting us to explore that this morning. The question is always about what is my identity, purpose, and destiny. God designed you. He put you together. I think uh, uh, people have talked recently in, in counseling circles about the concept of original design. 
that, that when God made you, he designed you for a purpose. You are uniquely suited to what God wants you to do. And you are, you, you've been given everything that you need to be able to do that. Very often in our lives, we struggle because we we, we understand the concept that God might have blessed us and suited us for something, but we're trying to do something completely different from what we've been called to do, what our destiny is. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that sometimes, and, and, and I have nothing against accountants, you know, you might be brilliant at numbers and you might, you might be earning a good living here, but then you're sitting in your desk thinking, but there must be more than this. And the answer is because, because whilst God loves accountants and accountants have a kingdom purpose, there's actually maybe a lot more that you're gifted at than you're doing in your job. And so the Father wants us to begin to explore uh, that. The reemergence of our original design that often gets hidden, often gets buried. Uh, that One of the, the primary times where children begin to lose touch with their original design is when they go to school. And because unfortunately still, even though it's getting better, they are put into pigeonhole boxes of, of, of well, you, you can do this and you can't do that. You're good at this, but you're not good at that. And so they gradually lose touch with what they're good at. Discovering your destiny equals discovering your divine because. What is it? I put you here because. Dot, dot, dot. What is it? What goes in those dots? That is what we're wanting to talk about. That is destiny. Your destination is set. Your destination is set. You're going there. Yeah, it's, 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 it's set. I mean, that's one thing, one bit of predestination I do believe in, that we are predestined to get there in the end. We are gonna, your destination has been set, but your destiny is not. Because destiny is what you do with the journey. Because the destiny is what you create and the wake that you, move, you form as you move through life under the direction of God. The people you influence, the people you touch, the things you start, the things you make. And that all gets, you all get rewarded for that in the future. That all gets sent on ahead of you. It's paid on ahead. But you are called to work out a destiny in this life. Your destination is set, but destiny is about the journey. It's about what you take with you to heaven. Hebrews 10 and, and verse 7, uh, and speaking here about um, Jesus. Then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And that introduces us to a really interesting concept. And uh, yeah, those of you that are prophetic and seers, you, you, you might think, oh, yeah, this is, this, I, I understand this idea. That God has written us on a scroll in heaven his plans for your life. That God has written them on a scroll. And Jesus, when he came, said, well, what I'm doing is all written on the scroll in heaven. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus didn't start his public ministry until he went into the synagogue in Capernaum. He found another scroll, the scroll of the book of Isaiah, and he opened it and he read it from Isaiah 61 and he claimed it. And he said, that's mine. And you see, that's because, I think that's because that's Hebrews 7, um, 10, 7 and, and, and Luke 4 there. I think that the two are linked. 
Because Jesus came into this world with a sense of destiny, knowing that God had written a purpose, a mission, something down on a scroll in heaven. And it was in the, the scroll store in heaven, whatever that is. And he's there, and it's there. Jesus is aware that he's got it, but as he's unwrapping that scroll and reading it, it suddenly just comes real to him. And he says, ah, that's what it is. And this is one of the ways that we, that, that we can walk around with a sense of destiny, believing that God has got something for us to do, a vague sense, an awareness of it. Yeah, God's got a plan. But then one day we're reading the scriptures or someone is prophesying over us. And, and then suddenly the scripture just gets up off of the page, gets hold of you by the throat and says, this is it. I was minding my own business going, going this way. And then one day God just spoke to me and he said, anybody who desires to be the leader, of, uh, the leader of the people of God desires a noble task. That's from 2 Timothy, isn't it? And, and this scripture just jumped up off of the page and got hold of me and totally changed the direction of my life. It was a, a destiny scripture. We'll, we'll probably talk a bit more about that in a minute. So Jesus was aware of his destiny being written on a scroll in heaven. It was released when he unwrapped it and read it. In other words, he started speaking it out to people. This is what I'm called to be. Yeah, we're called to be um, all that Jesus has made us to be. We, we would all agree with that. In two, no, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy uh, 1 verse 18, Paul speaking to Timothy says, work out your life according to the prophetic words that have been spoken over you. I just mentioned script. I just mentioned script. The role of scripture in finding our destiny. The second thing that is necessary for people to find their destiny is the prophetic, and this is incredibly important. This is why we should always be putting people in the hot seat and prophesying over them and praying over them. You know, well, what if I get it wrong? Don't worry. If you get it wrong, if you make something up, if it's too much pizza from the night before, do you know what happens to those words? They fall to the ground. They just go blop. And they, and, they, and they just sort of like a sort of heap on the floor. But the words you speak that come from God are key in releasing people's destiny. And people won't get into their destiny unless they have people around them prophesying. Not just, yay, go boy, we think you're great, which is, which is nice. But daring to step out beyond the, I feel God wants to encourage you, to I feel that God wants to encourage you and I have a picture of you doing this and I see this and I see that and I believe this is God. So we cannot function in our destiny without a prophetic community around us. And now that is not the responsibility of those people who call themselves prophets who've got gold, um, gold monogrammed peas on their pyjamas, you know. I'm the prophet of God. All listen to me. It's there, there are a few of those around, but, but it's actually the, the work of the community of God. We're not only a priesthood of believers, we're a prophethood of believers. And that it is necessary for the body to function as a prophetic community if people are to be released into a sense of their destiny. How many of you would like to have an encouraging, directional, prophetic word about your future and destiny? Good. Okay. Well, afterwards, we shall all do that. Uh, uh, we might be here a while. Um, so, so um, I don't know. I didn't see anybody not put their hand up. But if you didn't put your hand up, chicken. Uh, because, because, you see, sometimes you can be reading the Bible and this verse jumps out and says, read me, read me, you know, obey me, obey me. And you can say, 
nah, not today, thank you very much. But when you have a bunch of people around you prophesying, and they're all prophesying the same thing, it's a bit hard because to go, no, it never happened, total denial. It, it's a lot harder to, to, to deny and evade the destiny-releasing impact of a prophetic community. So if we want to, um, if we want to understand our destiny, we have to be in the scriptures. If we want to be released in our destiny, we have to be in um, the, the, a prophetic environment. Timothy was commanded to embrace and live out all that was spoken over him. Now, in, uh, there's, um, you can have a destiny that is yours, but it can also be part of your church family's history and tradition. By that, Moses, uh, not Moses, Abraham. Genesis uh, 11 and, and verse uh, 31, right at the end of chapter 11, it, it says, God spoke to Terah to take all his family and leave Haran where they were and travel to um, Canaan. And so when... Abraham was relatively young. They left his original home and they started traveling towards the land of Canaan. That was Terah's destiny. God had spoken to him. No, he had heard. It doesn't say God spoke, but I'm assuming it's God. God had called Terah and his family to go to uh, the the land uh, of Canaan. He gets halfway... And they stop for a wee break. You, you can't have career breaks in destiny. Right? He, he stops halfway. They get bogged down in life in Haran. And according to rabbinic tradition, uh, uh, Terah and his son, Ab- Abraham, Abram as he was then, they had a really good business going manufacturing idols. It's quite funny, isn't it? That's ironic. But, but they, they had a prosperous business, according to rabbinic tradition, manufacturing idols. Now, um, it, then God speaks. I can't remember the exact text. In, God starts speaking to Abraham. Just, I think it's just after his father has died. Um, yeah, Terah lived to two, 205 years and then, then he died in Haran. Sorry, did I say it was a so it died in Haran? And then the Lord said to Abraham, leave the country, your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will, take, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And then in the end it says, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham's father had set out and stopped short of the full purposes of God for his generation. But God was not going to be frustrated because God then speaks to his son and says it's time to take over the family business. It's time to move into what the first generation wasn't able to achieve. So if you are a second generation person in this church, there is a destiny and a purpose that you've inherited just because you've decided to family with this church. Just because you've decided to be committed to this church, you are suddenly part of something that started years ago, and it has only got this far. And you think, oh, well, you know, the, 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 we've, we've run out of energy, we've stopped. But actually, Abraham was basically told to climb on his father's shoulders. 
and go for the more. And wherever this fellowship has been, and it's got to this point, if you've come into it since it started and you're a recent arrival, you're like Abraham hearing the word of the Lord saying, hey, the vision they had to get this church into Canaan says, well, they haven't been able to get it fully there, but you can just climb up on their shoulders. And that, that God doesn't keep changing for churches. He doesn't keep changing direction and plan. It remains the same. He doesn't, yeah, just because there's a new generation doesn't mean we have to have a new vision. Doesn't have, we don't even have a new destiny. That's why you've got to be very careful which church you join. Because if, if you join a church whose destiny is, is, is decline and decay, you will go down with them. But if you join a church whose destiny is expansion, growth and the kingdom and revival, then you can, stand on the, you can stand on the achievements that have been now. They are yours. Everything that's been done up until now is yours. Take it and plant it inside yourself and say, I possess all the blessings of my spiritual forefathers. I possess everything. And it, I have access to everything which has been accessed in this place over the, over the last 20, 30 years. It, it, I can re-access it now for my generation. It hasn't gone away. Uh, right, so, um, so God calls Abraham to fulfill his father's potential. So I guess if you're under 40 here today, uh, I, a little prophetic word, that God has called you and, and familyed you in this church, connected you and covenanted you into this church because he's got potential that has been destined for this congregation to achieve. And guess what? If it's not achieved by the current generation of leaders, it's going to be achieved by you. That's encouraging. Good. Uh, so, but the other thing also is that, that if you're sitting here and thinking, well, there isn't much space for me. You know, yeah, I, I mean, you know, whatever, you, whatever your gifting is, we'll call it gifting X, okay, not to be controversial. My gifting is X, and there's so many Xs here, and there's not much space for me. Um, do you know what God did, what God does? He says, go to the frontier. Go to the Wild West. Go to a place that isn't full of X's and then you can exercise your gift. Exercise. <laughs> you can exercise your gift there. And, and by, by that, I mean this, that, that every church has a core of its calling identity and anointing and destiny, but it also has a frontier. And the frontier has to be constantly moving out. That we can't, we can't just stay where we are because the frontier is the place where the young people go and they learn to develop their X into a, into a world-class anointing, okay? And so in, in my day, the, the, the frontier was always youth work. Yeah, that, that you, 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 if you had any ability at all, you were just thrust out into doing youth work and you, and you started off with the kids, kids club and then you worked your way up until you were dealing with 18-year-old drug-pushing thugs. And, and in that process, you, you, you developed your gifting. Now, why did I start saying this? Yeah. <laughs> Frontiers. Even though, even though I was saying a lot about being involved in the fellowship, in the, the, in the destiny and calling of the mothers and fathers, there's also that every church has to have a Wild West frontier because it is in that place that, like David, you learn to kill the lions and the bears so that you're ready to kill the Goliaths. Okay, so training places. Okay, I don't know if that fits, but anyway. Destiny thinking 
uh, postures you into a bless them rather than bless me mode. Said of Abraham that, that he was blessed to be a blessing. Church thinking has in all, very often been about bless me. But destiny thinking is about bless them, not bless me. So in other words, how do I work out my destiny? I need to find a place where I can practice all that God has given me with the they must be blessed mentality. Blessed to give away, blessed to serve, blessed to meet need. Destiny people are going to think, how can I get somewhere where I can bless people? Christian consumers think, how can I get somewhere where I can be blessed? Big difference. The father has parental ambitions for his kids, like all good fathers. His aim for you is that you should be just like Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's, um, you know, but with our own specific flavour. So you'll be you, you, Jesus like you, or you like Jesus. So the Father's intention is that you should be like Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know that one. Put it in dozens of, of Christmas cards and birthday cards to people. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a future and a hope. Okay, remember that was given to a group of people who were in disobedience under the, the, the discipline of God in exile in a foreign land. And yet God still turns around to them and prophesies over them, I know the plans that I have for you because the plans of God are like a gravitational pull that just pulls you out of whatever hole you've got into and propels you into a better future. Do You do know, don't you, that if you're a believer today, that your destiny is more powerful than sin in your life. Because that's what that verse in Jeremiah 29 tells me. A nation in sin, a nation under judgment, and yet God still speaks promise, future, destiny and hope over them. And it doesn't matter how much we've messed up, God uses the future and the hope and the destiny and the calling to that destiny to draw us out of whatever rut we are in. And so we mess up. We've, we've driven off the road. We're in the, in the ditch. And God and the sense that actually I am better than this. I have a calling on my life and I might have messed up this week, but I'm just asking God to get me back on the road because I believe that what I'm carrying and what I'm called to be, actually the earth needs it, the world needs it, this church needs it. And therefore I will not let the ditch be the status quo of my life. I believe for better over myself. And you see, if we don't get that tough mindset that actually says sin is an occasional thing, it is not a perpetual part of my life, it occasionally invades, it occasionally takes hold and causes me to drive off the road, but I am not going to live in the ditch. I am a highway person, and I'm on the highway to be maximising as much as I can of God's calling on my life as quick as I can. The future belongs to those that have the best hope someone has said. The future belongs to those that have the best hope, that we as believers have the best hope. The future belongs to those that have the best hope. Um, Ephesians 2 and, uh, and verse uh, 10, fascinating little, little comment from Paul here, if I can find it. Ephesians 2 and verse, and verse 10. 
For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. (laughs) We are God's workmanship. We're put together by God. That's what he's saying. But the actual word there, um, the word for, for workmanship, is the word poema. And poema, surprisingly, you don't have to be a linguist to get this one. Poema is where we get our English word poem from. We're poetry from God. We're verses. We're treasures. We're, workmen, we're precious treasures. We're poems. We're stories written by God. So, so we are God's story. Each one of us. And we are, we, are, we are brought to Jesus to do works which God had prepared beforehand for us to do. Okay, um, God had prepared it beforehand. So when you became a believer, God didn't go, oh my goodness, Fred's gone and got saved. What are we going to do? And goes into the back office of heaven and rummages in a filing cabinet. And then eventually, you know, he finds this sort of tatty old file down the back and pulls it out and says, oh, well, you know, being a, being a member of Northgate, it's hard work, I know, but someone's got to do it. So you got given it as a sort of second rate thing. That when you got saved, it says God prepared, we were saved in order to do works which God had prepared beforehand. What, what's the beforehand? It's when he sent you into the world... He sent you with an inbuilt capacity to do works which would glorify God, love human beings and bring the kingdom. And that's inside of you. It's inside of everybody. But when you become a believer, that stuff starts going inside. And, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of church leaders say, well, calm down, shut up. You know, you need at least five years to grow. And then, you know, another 20 years, we might even baptize you. And, and, you know, and that's kind of like pushing it down. But actually, if you sense that, I've got works to do inside of me. Breathe on it. Breathe on it in prayer. Blow on it with the Holy Spirit and say, I call forth the works of God which are in me because it is part of who I am meant to be. I am destined to do these things. Never, ever accept anybody who tells you, not now, not yet, never. Especially if they say never. Never, ever. Because they are in denial of the clear promise of Scripture that God brought you into this world to do good works. Good works. Not naff works. Not mediocre works. Not works where it says, oh, well, we tried, but nothing happened. Good works. Works that are, that means works which are effective in their nature and character and scope. We are converted unto a person and into a purpose. We're converted unto the person of Jesus, but into, sorry, into the person of Jesus, but unto a purpose. We are purposeful people. We are not random people. We're not people who do God on a Sunday. We are people who 24 7, 365 days of the year, have work to be done. I must be about my Father's work, is what Jesus said. And He is your Father as well. And he calls us to purposeful work. He has already prepared those works for us to do. You're the poema of God. Do you know the tragedy is a lost human being? A lost human being 
moving through their life towards an eternity without God, a lost soul. A lost human being is a lost poema. It's a life that was meant to be sung and spoken about to glorify God. It's an incredible treasure. And as people move in ignorance and unknowing towards having their poema extinguished, having their workmanship dismantled, having their potential dissolved, that the heart of the Father is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Because the value that he has invested in every human being. So when I look inside of myself, I don't, I, I'm aware of my faults, but I'm never going to let my faults get in the way of my purpose. I'm aware of my sins, but because of the blood of Jesus, my sins don't have to, to stop me living out my destiny. I'm aware of my negatives, but I'm also becoming more and more aware of my poema, of my shape, of what I am shaped by God to do. And, you know, there, there are times in, in our lives when, when we don't see much of the outward, but we just cherish it in our hearts and we just bless it and believe it. You know, Mary went through that whole phase for those years where she kept everything about Jesus hidden in her heart, knowing that one day it would all come out into the open. And, you know, you can have God speak to your heart and say, your poema is to lead many, many souls to me. Your poema is to be a leader in your field to change the way your profession sees ethics. Your poema can be, and it can be so ridiculously, you know, there's no way I can do that. And yet it's the poema that God's written in your heart. Find it, learn it, love it. Speak, begin to speak it out to your friends and the people who will be your prayer supporters that, you know, actually I believe that I am called to do this and this and this for Jesus. We are God's workmanship. We need to understand our poema that has been written over our lives. To discover our divine because. You know, Jesus had to go through a process of discovering his divine because. I mean, uh, I, I think if you, if you look, by the age of 12, wasn't it, when he was in the temple, he said, did you not know that I would be in my father's house? But then he moves on a bit further and gradually, until he gets to the, the unwrapping the scroll in the thing, that's the final point where he finally knew what he was called to be. I don't believe that he was sitting in the cradle, sucking his thumb, thumb thinking, ho-hum, this is fun. They think I'm a baby, but I know who I am. Yeah, he actually, he actually grew. Because it actually says he grew in stature and wisdom and understanding about the, uh, um, um, as he grew up. So, how do we grow? Um, this I just want to finish. How do we grow in our awareness of what our destiny and our calling and our poema is. The first thing is, I believe that at some stage, God puts a seed in your heart. I was 17, I'd been a Christian about six weeks, and I'm standing in my Anglican church, looking out over the graveyard. And God said to me, do you believe that these bones can live? I didn't know that was from the Bible. <laughs> I don't, I, I, and, and God said, basically spoke to me about revival in the British Isles right then. So I'd been a Christian six weeks. That's 
that, that's a seed verse. I'd already told you the verse from Timothy about, about Christian leadership. That came, uh, so the seed, seed experience, a seed verse. And then I went through a stage where for about three years, everybody who came anywhere near me prophetically would be pre- prophesying revival, evangelism, yeah, leadership, da, da, da. And, and, and so I knew. Now, it was easy for me. Because it was so clear. It's not always so clear for everyone else. But wherever you are, whatever you are, lifestyle you're involved in, God wants to invest purpose into it and make you his person in that situation to change and transform that situation. But many people have what I call destiny sickness. And it goes something like this. Well, if God wants me to do something... That's okay with me. You know, God's got my phone number. He'll give me a call if, if he wants me to do anything. I, I get, when I hear that, I, I just want to bop him on the nose. He says, that is not salvation. That is booking your ticket to go to heaven. And when you get there, you will have nothing to lay at the feet of Jesus. Because you get stuff to lay at the feet of Jesus. You get crowns to throw before him. By working out your destiny in this life. Not because you get saved by doing works. Don't mishear me. But because he is worthy of the adoration of a life that creates things that can be presented to Jesus. People that can be presented to Jesus. Souls that have been won. And that if you want to arrive before Jesus and get the, glad you're here. And then Jesus looks and you go, and? And that thought frightens me. So lying there on your couch saying, if God's got a plan for me, I'm sure he'll tell me. I think that's destiny avoidance, destiny malaise. Living in our comfort zones, you will never get to your destiny by living in the cotton wool comfort zone of just coming to church on a Sunday. Destiny lies out with the building. Cotton wool comfort zones, the security of being the big fish in a little pond. Do you know one of the things God does when he wants people to grow up? They're quite happy swimming around being the big fish in this pond. He gets hold of you and he picks you up and he puts you into a much bigger pond. And then when you're in that pond, you just suddenly realize, there are much bigger fish in that pond. And you suddenly say, oh, my goodness, I've got to grow. You know, so you're suddenly a fish on steroids because you've got to grow because you've been placed out of your comfort zone into the place that he wants you to grow into. At one stage in my life, I wouldn't do anything unless I could see the plan. And, okay, and God starts saying, walk on a tightrope. And I'm looking at the tightrope and I say, no, I'm not going to walk on the tightrope because there's uh, no safety net. You've got to learn to walk with no safety net. Because if you fall, what's going to happen? Nothing. <laughs> because underneath are the everlasting arms. God will look after you. So you've got to get on the tightrope with no safety net. And, and just Alexander the Great, had conquered almost everywhere, and he, he, he sails across the Aegean, and he brings his whole army with him, and he's now going to go all the way to India. And uh, just to make sure that the troops were really focused on the task in hand, he burnt all the boats. Hence the phrase, burning your boats. 
There was no going back. The people who really press in to maximize their life for God, the people who fulfill their destiny, the people who have the most treasure to lay before the Lord are the ones who realize that you can't go back to your old life. Being saved is a completely different thing to not being saved. You can't go back to the way you were. And if you are in church but you haven't actually changed, then the question is, have you actually been saved? You have to, we have to play hardball about this because we've had, we've had generation after generation after generation of God pouring his spirit out on his people and yet we still have not achieved as much as we could have done. Not to beat ourselves up. God is never beating us up. He's just saying, I, I want to see the look on your face, your face, when you lay before me the fruit of your life, because I will know that you will be so blessed. That's the heart of the Father. So let's stop there. So, Father, Holy Spirit, we just pray that whatever has come out of your heart would stand, and that which is just me would disappear. But right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would begin to speak to people about the desire to fulfill their God-given destiny. Holy Spirit, would you just begin to remind us of destiny scriptures of destiny words that have been forgotten, that have been laid aside, that we've cancelled in some way by a life choice. But then, Lord, also, just now, as you're beginning to restore to our memory the things that we actually know we're called to do, Holy Spirit, would you just begin to fan into flame again. Fan into flame again the desire that we once had for the things of God, for the work of the kingdom that we were brought into this world to do. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you know there's an issue with destiny where you've either stopped and not gone on to the fullness or you've turned back or you're just beginning to sense, hey, I actually have a purpose and I want to know what it is, which are the positives or negatives, it doesn't matter. If you could just stand where you are, and I'm going to pray over you from, from, from the front here, and then we'll just end with some worship. So if you know that destiny is an issue that you need to engage with today, either because of you failed to move into it or because you, want, you don't yet know what it is, if you could just stand and then I'll pray for you. Jesus, here's my life. It's the only one I've got. And I want to give it totally afresh to you, just as I am. I haven't got any time to improve or to polish or to make myself better. 
I just stand before you. I thank you that you made me with infinite capacity for the kingdom of heaven to do great things for God. And Father, where I've stopped short, where I've turned away, where I didn't choose to go along the path of invitation, but took the path of least resistance, where I did the easy thing instead of the right thing, where I made choices that have put me away, sitting in the ditch, with my wheels spinning. I say, God, I want to be back on the path. I choose to repent. I repent of not caring, not loving you enough to stay on the road highway of holiness. And Father, right now, as we seek to be in the middle of that highway, we want to start moving forward. Father, I want to pray that there would just be a release of uh, affirmation and comfort from heaven. That just like in the book of Isaiah, we'd hear the voice of the Lord behind us saying, this is the way, this is the path, walk in it. Father, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would come to everyone who needs uh, to be encouraged at this moment. And you begin to feel the pressure of the hand of God in the small of your back, just beginning to move you again. And I pray over every single one of you in the beautiful name of Jesus that you might enjoy times of spiritual momentum. You might enjoy times of spiritual acceleration. And I pray that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation would fall upon you with scripture and with prophecy and with dreams and with angelic visitation that you might begin to move towards the goal. I bless your poemas that they might be read in the courts of heaven with great rejoicing, that your story will put a smile on the face of the Trinity, that your life would be a fragrant offering, that fragrance would rise up in heaven. I bless you to be incredibly fruitful. And in the name of Jesus, I take authority over every demonic power of darkness that has sought to rob and to steal and to divert us from the path of fruitful service because we say our Jesus is worthy of the offering of our lives. And as we offer them up to Him, we turn to the enemy who's been trying to put barrenness on us and we say, barrenness, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus and I send you away. And I choose right now in my resolute heart, in my spirit, to stand and to walk into my destiny. In Jesus' name. Amen.